And now, more sports and torts with David Spada and Elliot Herring. On the phone, we have one of the greatest cornerbacks in NFL history. Why he is not in the Hall of Fame, only I don't know who knows what the reason is. <laughs> Former Dallas Cowboy, Everson Walls. How you doing, Everson? Hey, how's it going, guys? Good. Great. I just talked to a former receiver who you covered back in the day, and he said you were the, one of the toughest cornerbacks he ever had to go against. Uh, that was Mark Clayton. Oh, that's my man, Mark. Yes, definitely. Uh, yeah, Mark and I didn't really go against each other that often. But, uh, you know, we all had, we each had our own different uh, attributes. You know, both of us have long arms. Uh, Mark was a guy that could jump really high. Uh, and, you know, his uh, fearlessness going to co- over the middle uh, was something that Marino needed uh, back back in Miami because, you know, Duper wasn't going over the middle, but uh, Clayton was the one that they chose to go over the middle. Duper liked to stay outside and use that speed, so they were, they were a great complement to each other. You grew up in Richardson, Texas. Is it safe to assume you were a Cowboys fan growing up? Yeah, yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, the Cowboys practice field, uh, was right, uh, on the, just on the edge of, uh, Richardson and Dallas, just like my house. And, uh, I used to go up there all the time, for real. Uh, a lot of people think that's just a, uh, just a marketing, uh, line that I used to ride my bike up there to the practice field. I really did. You know, it was a couple of miles. Back in the day, you know, we used to walk everywhere we went, or we had, you know, had a little bicycle, so uh, we would take our time and walk up there as kids and, and always dream about, you know, playing for the Dallas Cowboys. Who was your favorite Cowboy growing up? Uh, growing up, it was always either Bob Hayes, who kind of loved him to death. He was so exciting. And uh, I just thought uh, for a brief time, he was just there so briefly, it was Dwayne Thomas. You know, I just felt that... Uh, you know, when you're a kid, you know, you, you when you live and die with uh, your team, well, with the Cowboys, I always felt comfortable when he was running the ball. I always thought he was going to get it done. And, you know, being going against, uh, God, I think it was Baltimore. Was it Baltimore in the Super Bowl or Miami? I think it was Miami. You know, just watching him, the way he ran the ball, uh, it was as if he couldn't be stopped. It was against uh, the Miami Dolphins. Yeah, and he looked like he was going to go on and have a Hall of Fame career and everything, and it, it just it just never happened for him. Uh, no, it didn't. You know, and, and that, that's uh, one other thing I learned about uh, uh, football was through what happened with Dwayne Thomas. I saw how things can change so quickly for an individual. Uh, I, I saw how it was more than just what goes on on the field. You know, there's so many factors in trying to maintain a long NFL career. I saw how so many things off the field kind of, you know, uh, uh, started to, to, to mix things up and, and mess things up uh, with his career. And, uh, you know, it was something I was prepared for uh, when, I, when I played for the Cowboys. Is it accurate you only played one year of football in high school? Pardon me? Is it accurate that you played only one year of football in high school? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I played senior uh, league and all the way up to like uh, uh, I think it was uh, eighth grade. But you know, after a while, I thought I was going to be this great basketball player because I had some skills. You know, I had a little game. I could uh, I could shoot very well, 
uh, I couldn't shoot free throws worth the crap, but I could, <laughs> I could definitely, you, you give me a bounce and a rhythm and I could, I could, uh, really think it, you know, and uh, I could jump very, very high. I was the, uh, I would jump center for my high school team. So I, I had a little skill in that regard and, uh, I just enjoyed the, uh, comfortable environment of a basketball arena. There's no weather, you know, there's no weather permitting, anything like that. You know, you can get in there and play, you know, you know what temperature is going to be and all of that. And as opposed to football, yeah, I hated the unpredictability of football. I hated the, the being outside and burning up in the sun. I hated, you know, being in the, in the rain. You know, I hated being in the snow. Oh, my God. A cold game, I hated that. So, you know, it was something I had to get used to as a professional. But that was what stopped me from playing uh, when I was a youngster. How did Eddie Robinson convince you to go to Grambling? You know, uh, I, I, I got to say, Eddie didn't really convince me. Uh, my girlfriend did. <laughs> you know, she had uh, already uh, known where she was going to go to school. And with me just playing one year of high school football, nobody really came after me. So I, I started trying to, you know, make some calls myself. I became proactive. And so when she said she was going to Grambling, then I, I said, why not? You know, follow her to Grambling. We had a great relationship. We're still married to this day. And uh, we grew up together. So, uh, you know, we, we just kind of stuck together. And that ended up working out very well for, for both of us. <laughs> okay. How did your mother convince Eddie Robinson then that you, he should give you a scholarship? <laughs> you know, my, my mom had a lot to do with that. Uh, she was... Uh, uh, you know, very determined to get her son a scholarship. Uh, I was just blessed that at that time of the year, after the recruiting season was basically over, that they actually had a scholarship available. So someone must have uh, chosen another school or something to that nature because they had one there that was available for me. He liked the film that I sent him. I got all the information from my girlfriend, uh, got the, 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 the address and everything. I sent it to the coaching staff. The uh, communication stayed open, uh, and, uh, you know, once they saw how, how, you know, tall I was and they saw that I could catch, that was that, you know, that that impressed them a little bit. And, uh, you know, when I had my afro, I looked even taller then than I <laughs> looked now. And with that, uh, I think I must have really looked like, an, uh, although I was skinny, you know, I, uh, I actually had... Uh, you know, a good frame about myself, and that's what they wanted. Some guys that could that could uh, do a little. Uh, it had some agility. I had some ability, but it, it was it came through agility. I could jump. I could I could turn my body. I could catch. I could do certain things. I was a multifaceted defensive back. What was Eddie like as a coach? Eddie was amazing. You know, he was uh, always thirsty for knowledge. He used to go around to all the coaches' uh, conventions. And if, if someone was doing something that was innovative or successful, he would just pick their brain. I mean, he would pick their brain. He would have an, a, an assistant coach with him who would pick their brain about how they did this, how they did that. And he was a very intelligent and diligent coach. So, uh, you know, he, he listened to them talk about, you know, how he wanted us to be great Americans and he was so motivating and basically a statesman for all of college football. You know, he was just a—he uh, was a figure that, uh, you know, as dominating and 
you know, admirable as any figure I've ever been around, Tate, too. Did you go to Grambling thinking you were going to be an offensive star or did a defensive star? Oh, no, no, I definitely went as a defensive back. Uh, I didn't know that I would be a corner. I went there as a safety. You know, uh, you know, when you talk about playing basketball and things of that nature, most basketball players have good range as defensive backs. And I had good range as a uh, as a safety. But, you know, as I got there and, and uh, started uh, working on my back pedal, uh, we, we worked so diligently on man-to-man. And I got really good at covering some of the fastest wide receivers I've ever gone up against. I was able to hold my own, at least, uh, in the one-on-one practices. And this one, I was, as I was still a freshman, then that I kind of started honing in on I wanted to be a cornerback. I really did. And uh, that uh, the, the challenge, you know, being a safety is, of course, a challenge as well. You have to come up and make big hits on big backs, you know, tight ends. I remember a former Dallas Cowboy defensive back played some safety, played corner, pretty good basketball player by the name of Cornell Green. Right. Sure. That's true. Did, did you you patterned yourself at all after him? I, I really didn't, but it's so funny as I met Cornell. Uh, you know, we do have the same type of frame. Of course, he's God. He was so amazing as a as a safety as well. He, he had he was stronger than I was. You know, uh, faster. Uh, he had it all. You know, he's a guy that really doesn't get nearly enough credit for his place in history. But you know, we we walk alike. You know. There's the uh, I, we I laugh about how um, I have uh, flu I'm flu footed and Cornell is as well and I, I you can use that to your advantage. Uh, being, me being flu footed, it, it really helped me in my motions and my hips, and I'm able to uh, go lateral and and be able to turn some of back pedal into a forward into a running forward uh, as quick as, as anybody. And and Cornell was the same way. The, the uh, the movement in the hips is the secret to being a good cornerback or defensive back. And Cornell and I both had that attribute in spade. When you ran that four seven two during the workouts, did you think to yourself, you know what, I might have just played myself out of the league? You know, I thought that uh, coach, uh, scouts were much more intelligent than they ended up being. I'm, <laughs> gonna, I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, I thought that, you know, when you look at my film, you know, I thought everyone knew that there's a difference between game speed and and the time speed. I'm running by myself. You know, it's just it's it's silly to me. I, you know, if you want a track guy, then you go get a track guy. But you know, if you want a guy that knew how to backpedal, you wanted a guy that could shut down any wide receiver he comes up against. Then I, I'm your guy. And I was so disappointed that they couldn't understand that. You don't just get 11 interceptions in college just in, on accident with your thumb up your butt. You know what I mean? If you if you get eleven interceptions, I don't care who you're playing against, you gotta have some skill, especially at the cornerback position. Safety is one thing, eleven interceptions. But a cornerback position, being able to being agile enough to backpedal, turn and run, uh, locate the ball, go up the highest point, get the ball. You know, that that's a that's not easy at all. It's it's you know, you, your brain has to work very uh very hard you know, and your, and your brain and your body have to have this connection. And I thought that uh, my my film work would show that regardless of that 40 time, 
that uh, I was a guy that still someone needed to not just take a chance on, but, you know, profit off of my ability. Well, and you had 11 interceptions as a senior at Grambling, and you say to yourself, do the scouts think that you got beat all the time and the quarterbacks were under-throwing? You know, it, it, <laughs> you know you, you, you ha- at some point you have to believe your eyes right. rather, rather than a stopwatch. No doubt. And, and you know, I, you know uh, that's why I, I, the thing about the Cowboys, you know, they were a little bit, Overboard in regards to some of the tests they had us doing on the you know, from that was computerized, but there were certain things that I, I could show them uh, the the entire picture when it's computerized. The way you know you, you when you get into camp, and, you know you show everything that you can do. That's when I was able to uh, really uh, 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 excel and show my athletic ability. It had to be a dream come true though when the Cowboys signed you. Yeah, it was, you know, but, but me, I was so hard-headed and full of myself uh, to where I was still upset that they didn't think I was good enough to be drafted. So, of course, uh, as much as I was, uh, I, there was a comfort zone, definitely, in being with the Cowboys uh, because I knew the, I knew the uh, organization, I knew what to expect, I knew the business aspect of it. There's still uh, the, uh, uh, the uh, anger that uh, I, they didn't think I was good enough. Now, the Cowboys weren't the only ones who were interested in signing you, though. Yeah, and I took it out on them, too. <laughs> I mean, you, that's, you, why, that's, why I got, that's why I got 11 receptions my uh, rookie year, too. I was still, I was still upset. <laughs> you passed up the opportunity to go to where? Buffalo? Yeah, and I, I didn't see that as much of an opportunity. You had a decent team, no doubt about it. Could have played with a grammar night. Uh, 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 Frank, uh, uh, Frank Lewis could have played with him. But uh, I always thought that uh, uh, the Saints as well would have been an option. But at that time, they, they, they were just wearing bags, and they were just the aim. Yeah. So I didn't want to go to an organization that seemed to really not have it together. I wanted to go to an organization that was going to be accountable and an organization that I knew needed one element of their of their uh, defense, and I thought that the second, you know, them having the uh, the uh, weak secondary, I thought that was my opportunity. I thought that was my best opportunity. You go to a team that has a weak secondary, but also is weak in, on their entire defense. But if you go to a team that needs strength in their secondary, and that's all they need to get over the top, then I felt like that organization would be a lot more accountable. Uh, to their fans and try and sign the best player, no matter what school he came to, came from, and no matter where uh, what position he was drafted or not drafted. I mean, you had to do something, right? I mean, you go undrafted and then lead the league in the interception with eleven your rookie year. I mean, most rookies don't even see the field or undrafted. Yeah, well, uh, that's just how bad uh, the Cowboys secondary was at the time. <laughs> I mean, just think about it. You had two free agents that made the team. That was Mike Downs and myself. So they were they were just thirsty for uh, someone that could make a play. You know, they were just thirsty for someone that could make a play. Plus, the Cowboys' defensive uh, scheme was a bit complicated, and that bodes well in my favor as well because there were times when you were going to end up playing a, a lot of man-to-man, even though zone was called. And that's where I was able to show what I could do by being in that uh, that man-to-man uh, situation, 
And that, that gave me a little bit of a, an advantage of some of the other guys. And it didn't hurt that the Cowboys did have some talent on the defensive line to apply a little pressure <laughs> to the quarterback. No doubt about it. It did help. Sure did help. I mean, it was almost set up perfectly for me, to tell you the truth. I mean, if I, if I was just to approach my opportunities, you know, from an intelligent uh, point of view, and that's what I tried to do by, uh, you know, understanding that you had one of the best front fours in the game, knowing that that pressure is going to be there, ball's going to be up in the air, you know, a lot of times. And uh, if it's up in the air and I'm close to my man, and I have a chance to get it. What was Landry like as a coach? Landry was tough, man. Landry was smart. Landry was, uh, how can I say it? Landry was uh, analytical. Uh, he was extremely uh, uh, hardworking. I'll say that much. He he did his best to outthink uh, any coach he came up, came along alongside, and uh, he was also a guy that respected talent. You know, he didn't talk to you much, but he did respect you if you could play well, and he wanted to make sure you can get on that field. And that's that was another thing that uh, boded well for me, because as he saw me making those interceptions, I remember him making the statement. He goes. You know, if uh, this guy can get interceptions while he's sitting on the bench, maybe if I can get him out there as a starter, he'll get more interceptions. And, hey, that's just as logical as you can be. made plenty of sense to me, and it worked. At what point in training camp did you say to yourself, I, I am I am as good as these guys. I, I should have been a, a, a top-round pick, and, and I can play this game at this level. Uh, shoot, I'd say the first mini camp we had before we even went to training camp. <laughs> I was I was pretty pretty uh confident in my ability. I really was. Uh I had gone up against some of the best, you know, when I was a uh, freshman. I had gone up against guys like Doug Williams. You know, I I had, you know, played against some practice and played against some very good players. Charlie Brown was one of my one of the guys I had to go up against when I was uh, uh at Grambling and Charlie went to South Carolina State. We ended up going against each other a whole lot while he was uh, with the Redskins. So I knew that if he, if, if I could play with those guys, I knew I'd, I could uh, really make some plays. When you had the 11 interceptions as a rookie, uh, was it the other teams thought they could beat this this kid out of Grambling who didn't know what he was doing? Or yeah, it was. At, uh, at, at some point, don't you say to yourself, "We're going to stop throwing at his side." <laughs> well, you know, it was it was just so strange. I think they took advantage of the system itself. You know, they realized that we they could put us in a lot of man to man situations, and it wasn't just me getting a lot of passes. It was, you know, it was it was both sides. You know, they couldn't run on us because the flex defensive line was so strong. I mean, the flex is made for the run. So they really had no choice but to pass in most situations. And, you know, we all got our fair share. It's just that, uh, you know, my coverage was good enough and, and my hands were good enough to take advantage of it, uh, to turn the tide, so to speak. It was turning the tide because the advantage usually goes to the offense in one-on-one. But, you know, you got good coverage and you can catch the ball, then, you know, you can switch the advantage to your side. You also had interceptions in the playoffs. You had that one uh, championship game against the 49ers, but everybody remembers that game for the catch. They had to just take the air out of your guys' bubble that year. 
Yeah, well, it was that it bursted. As a matter of fact, it was over. That was it. Uh, you know, I was one of the guys that could look forward to the Pro Bowl, but that really didn't didn't you know squash the memories or, or the disappointment from that game. You know, you can you can talk about uh, how great the game was. You can talk about the plays that I made, but uh, you know, when it all when it's all said and done, uh, the feeling of the championship. You know, just really can't be compared with anything else. And that's that's eventually what you go for, no matter how well you play as an individual. How difficult was dealing with the Cowboys in terms of contracts? Man, those guys are tough. Uh, back at that time, uh, you know, we didn't have free agency. So it was tough uh, for almost anybody. But I think the Cowboys, because they won year in and year out, had such a great coach that, you know, they start to take things for granted. And, and they had arrogance. There was arrogance as if, you know, they can find another guy like you anywhere. That's what they always thought. And uh, that wasn't necessarily the case, but that's the way they used it in regards to negotiations. And, uh, you know, it was a take, take it or leave it situation almost every time you went in. Uh, not much negotiating unless you forced a hand. And, of course, uh, you know, I've had some some legendary battles with them in that regard as well. Did they treat defensive players different than offensive players in negotiations? Oh, yeah, of course they did. You know, they always say it. Offense sells tickets, defense wins the game. Uh, and, uh, you know, they used to always say you can find a defensive back or a wide receiver on any street corner. <laughs> that was one of the things that they used to say about about our position, to really get respected, no matter how important it was to the team. It was getting respected in the negotiating room. And, uh, you know, just like now, you know, quarterbacks are going to get the benefit of the doubt. And defensive players really, you know, have to work extremely hard. An average quarterback, then and now, can get as much money as a, uh, a to B plus uh, graded defensive back. And that's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. So was was management's mindset that the coaching is so good they could take just about anybody and coach them up? Well, at that time, yeah, when Tom Landry was in his heyday, that's exactly what they thought. And, uh, you know, and that's the way it went for them. It seemed, it seemed like, you know, I mean, that you still won with a great offense no matter – how bad your defensive backs were. They still made it to the championship the year before I got there. Uh, of course, they had uh, some Super Bowls, of course, and well, they may have been lacking in one position and not in another, but, you know, they felt that, you know, Tom was, and their coaching staff was good enough, and shoot, most of the time they were. Most of the time they were. You had to think to yourself, you know what, I've got to get a Super Bowl ring with the Cowboys with how good they were in the 60s <laughs> and 70s. Right. <laughs> you know, we were, I think the, the 60s and the 80s, they, there were no, uh, no championship rings. You know, the 70s and the 90s, those guys were able to, to make it happen. And I, I really feel bad that I was part of that, that regime that didn't make it. Cause as much as I love being in the biggest market in the world, uh, in New York, uh, the, the biggest media market, the, the most, Exposure you can come up against in any other city. Uh, I love being in New York. Love winning on that stage. Love 
all the, the personal satisfaction, proving people wrong, you know, coming back through Dallas and, and playing so well and, and you know, uh, getting my re- revenge, so to speak, on, on that organization, I still would have felt so, I don't know how to say it, I just, it would have been so fitting that I would have won, that I could have won the Super Bowl in Dallas. That could have been extremely fitting. How difficult was the transition in coaches from Landry to Jimmy Johnson? From the outside, it, it looked like here's this Hall of Fame coach just getting pushed out the door, and here here, here comes a, a whole new regime. Well, uh, you know, I, I, at that time, we, I was so stunned so often in those last two years. You know, Tom's last year was 2-14, was and 14, and uh, – I think you just, uh, you almost expected it. You really did. I didn't expect it to happen so quickly, but you expected it definitely to happen. And, uh, you know, what happened to Tom is like the the same thing that happened to the players. And it had happened so often to the players. You know, as much as, of course, we revered Tom Landry, there were some players that I revered that were treated very shabbily by the Cowboy organization. And I'm, I wasn't surprised. When it, I was surprised, but I, I, I was uh, pretty much numb to the business of football uh, at that by that time in my career. 28 years old, been through the ups and downs of negotiations, uh, all the battles and strikes, work stoppage, and things of that nature. I guess I was pretty jaded at the time. I guess that's the best way to put it. Did it be extra special for you when you beat the uh, 49ers in the championship game when you were at the Giants after what the 49ers did to you guys for all those years in the 80s? Say again, I'm sorry, one more time. Did it be extra special for you when you beat the uh, 49ers in the championship game with the Giants after all the times the 49ers basically beat you guys in championship games? No doubt about it. Uh, you know, that was a, a very uh, poignant uh, win. You know, of course, anytime you beat the 49ers, you can. But what happened uh, with that? Uh, that that team uh, was broken up after that. Uh, uh, Joe Montana never played quarterback. I'm pretty much mistaken. Joe never played quarterback in uh, San Francisco after that. Uh, Steve Young came and took his place. Roger Craig had left the team. Uh, even Ronnie Lott left the team. Uh, right after that season. So it was a transition for them. And, and, you know, after what happened in my career, it felt kind of good to be part of a team that led to a transition in the 49er organization as well. Yeah, that gave me a little bit of satisfaction, no doubt about it. With New York, you played for another Hall of Fame coach in Bill Parcells. Were there any similarities between him and Coach Landry? You know, it was, it was very different. Uh, I thought that Bill, uh, you know, was a totally different, uh, personality, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, God, it's just, you know, he's a jokester, you know, he's like, actually a lot of fun, you know. I guess being, you know, starting off the season 10 and 0 didn't hurt. But yeah, we were having a lot of fun around there. It was one of my, uh, most enjoyable seasons, uh, ever in my entire career. Uh, really, uh, as far as the season, in my entire life, it was an enjoyable season on and off the court, uh, the, the field, uh, my family, everybody, everything. We, we just enjoyed that whole year. It was such a change from uh, being at home, playing with an organization that was 
very conservative and then going to, uh, you know, one of our favorite cities, of course, besides home now. Love Dallas as a home. But going to New York, uh, it was exciting. It was new. Uh, the kids were, uh, it was around the home alone time when the kids knew all about New York City. So it was, it was pretty special for us. Do you, does Thurman Thomas ever tell you, you know what, if you didn't tackle me, I would have got a touchdown and we would have won a Super Bowl? You know, Thurman Thomas, one thing he said about that, and I, I have only talked to him about it one time, and that was like two years ago. Just happened to be at the bar, and, you know, we were at a golf tournament and everything, and we were all signing autographs. Um, we, uh, somehow it came up, you know, finally. Because he was, you know, he was just right there. We were right there. I don't even know how it came up. Uh, maybe a fan asked a question. He he told me, he said he never saw me until it was too late. Uh, you know, that's what he told me. And I I, I was kind of surprised to hear that um, because I know that it was, the hole was wide open for him. And I think he was surprised that the safety came up that quickly um, as opposed to being half the field. <clears throat> he ran right through there. The linebackers got taken out. And I had no choice but to come up. Otherwise, uh, man, he would have been off to the races. I mean, off to the races. After time with the Giants, uh, you get waived. You look around. You sign with the Cleveland Browns. Did you see that portion of your career lasting longer than it did? Yeah, I kind of, I kind of did. But uh, you know that that whole thing in Cleveland that was not beyond my. Uh, you know, my abilities, uh, uh, the year before they sold, uh, they started kind of unloading some people, got rid of some popular people. Bernie Kosar and I got cut at the same time. And, uh, you know, what happens in, up in management very rarely has anything to do with a young, young coach, a new coach. And Belichick was a new coach at that time. And there's nothing he could do, you know, um, it was one of those things where they were just trying to save money. That's all they were trying to do. It was a fire sale, and it's, even though they ended up playing very well that next year, uh, it was definitely a fire sale going on, even uh, at that time. You were familiar with uh, Bill Belichick from your days with the Giants, so did you envision him becoming the coach that he would become? I really did, yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know about just being that successful, but I figured he'd be very successful. I could, I could see – I saw him winning a Super Bowl – he was, you know, like a head coach. Uh, he was very good at what he did. Uh, very smart, you know. Uh, reminded me a lot of Coach Landry. Uh, just a little bit more personable, but uh, he he had the same thought process, the same approach to the game that uh, I, I grew accustomed to. Now, you said Bill Parcells would joke around. I cannot imagine... Bill Belichick doing that. I think if he smiled, his, his face would crack. And you well, know, see, that, that's funny you say that because that's what I used to say about Tom Landry. <laughs> and 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 you're right. We're, we're Belichick as well. Uh, Belichick, when he told jokes, it was uh, not out of anger, but it was out of ridicule that we were messing up or whatever in practice. And uh, you know, he was he he would he was like you know how your dad was. Would, would act like he's mad at you, but he's not really mad at you. And when he makes a point, he makes a funny point of how silly you look. So he did that every once in a while. But for the most part, uh, he would laugh uh, at the things that he would say. And if, uh, you know, if things weren't too serious at the time, you know, business had been taken care of, 
now you would you would he would come in and and you know be ready for some jokes because he knew we had some for him. You were part of two of the iconic uh, plays in sports: the catch, which you mentioned before, and also Scott Norwood's missed field goal. They act like there was, yeah. they act like there was a chip <laughs> shot. There was not an easy field goal. Well, you know, I, I, these days it is. I mean, these guys are kicking them so far now. I mean, consistently. Uh, but you know, Norwood's problem was he had problems uh, early in the season. You know, he had missed some big time chip shots. I mean, extra point length chip shots uh, early in the season. And he was really their only weak link on that offense. And uh, so, you know, I, I, you know, wasn't sure he was going to miss it, but I, I had a, I am very optimistic even when he lined up. I was extremely optimistic. And as fate played out, <laughs> it worked pretty much the, the, the way you had, had envisioned. <laughs> yeah, it did. Uh, it did. I told myself uh, when I first got there, I said, you know, if, with, with my turnover ability, I, I can help this secondary. I, I knew I could because they didn't get many turnovers. They were just like the Cowboys when I got there. They weren't as bad in the secondary, but they were not a team that was accustomed to turnovers considering how strong their front seven was. I was so surprised. You get all that pressure. I mean, you know, so I ended up, you know, just like I told myself, I can, I can help this secondary. I can lead this secondary. Sure enough, I led them with about six interceptions that year. No one had gotten six in a long time uh, with the Giants at that time. And, uh, you know, the turnovers can be infectious. If you see one guy getting interceptions, trust me, it's going to spread throughout the whole team because it changes everyone's mindset. I did it uh, with, with grambling. We led the nation in interceptions while I was there. They had never done that before. Did it with the Cowboys. We led the league in interceptions. Cowboys had never done that before. And with the Giants, I came and led them in interceptions as well, even though as a team we didn't lead. But guys did improve their turnover game. There has to be a mindset that's, you know, uh, uh, embedded into, uh, into the players. And, and it starts in training camp, and that's, that's why I started doing it. What is it with these Grambling guys? I mean, becoming great football players. They got four guys in the Hall of Fame, should be five with you. I mean, Willie Brown, Buck Buchanan, Willie Davis, Charlie Joyner. You guys had a lot of talent down there through the years. Oh, no doubt. It's a small, small town. Oh, my God. It's so small. It's so small. And for all that talent to come, you know, Louisiana and is just a very talented state. Athletic-wise, you had some country boys down there. They just were naturals and didn't have a coach like Coach Robinson. You know, the way he, he taught us, the way he, he you know, uh, mentored us was uh, very uh, uh, advantageous for us once we got to the pros because we knew how to act. We always wore suits and ties in college, and that's pretty much the way it was when we got to the pros. We all graduated from college, you know, saying you needed that intellect you know, when you're uh, when you're playing in the NFL, and you, 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 especially with the Dallas Cowboys, very complicated systems on both sides of the ball. Among your many achievements in your life, I would say the greatest one concerning the Cowboys came in donating a kidney to Ron Springs, a, a, a former teammate. How did you, how did you how did an offensive guy and a defensive guy get so close? <laughs> I don't know. That's funny, man. Ron always used to tell me about he was the best player on the team. You know, he was not shy about his abilities. 
one of the faster fullbacks in the league at that time. One of the better blocking fullbacks as well. You couldn't, you could pretty much do it all. Uh, and being in the backfield with Tony Dust, that, that really made them a dangerous, dangerous offense. My rookie year, I think Ron had like 12 touchdowns. You know, that's, that's, that's saying a lot for somebody who's in the same backfield with Tony Dust. And, uh, he's one of the best blocking, uh, uh, fullbacks you ever want to be around. One of the better friends, one of the funnier guys you ever want to be around. So he was a multifaceted guy. Sense of humor, you know, he was, uh, uh, engaging. Uh, he wasn't a mean person at all. Uh, you know, he, he looked out for people that, uh, he knew would appreciate it. He was one of those guys that, uh, you know, you just, uh, couldn't help but like. So, so when it, when it came down to him and his, his, his illness and diabetes, you just kind of, you know, you wanted to, to be able to help him. We were great friends, of course, on top of that. It wasn't just a football thing. I and mean, we were just great friends, period. We were business partners after we retired. Our families are very close. Our kids are close. We know each other's moms, dads, all of that, sisters, brothers. So we're pretty much, uh, we're pretty much family. And so when it came time to see if he needed some help, I, I, uh, you know, I, I saw an opportunity. And we went for it. Who talked more trash, him or Tony Dorsett? It seemed like they both had egos. Oh, no, no. Ron, Ron was way... Ron kept Dorsett in stitches. <laughs> he kept him in stitches. Dorsett loved Ron Springs on and off the course, the field. He, they were just great buddies. You know, if uh, Tony was a, a match, if Tony probably would have done it. You know, if Tony was a match, he would have donated the kidney. I, I just don't think he was a match. Yeah, it, it, it's one thing to, to tell a friend, hey, if there's anything I can ever do for you. Right. <laughs> you know, we, we generally don't think body parts. Yeah, when, when we, I say that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know, I remember, you know, he was going to try some other avenues, and it was when those avenues failed that I just, I just got curious. I was curious. I was like, hey, what, what is the process? What's your blood type? Just start asking questions. And then next thing you know, you know, I'm taking tests and and going through that process. Yeah, because players nowadays they charge other teammates tens of thousands of dollars to get a uniform number. Hey, I, I told Ron he <laughs> owes me big time. He told he owes me all the way up until the day he died. I told him he owed me. I could have charged about fifty thousand dollars for my kidney. <laughs> I looked it up. That's the going rate for a good kidney. Well, you got to hold on to the one you got left now. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> now you you wrote you wrote a book, gift for Ron. I I expect to see that as a movie. Am I delusional? Well, you know, nobody they really stopped printing it. Uh, they didn't really give it much uh, publicity at all. My publishers didn't. You know, I, they were just I don't know what happened, but they really didn't push it well at all. It was very. I don't know. They were all, they were very absent, you know, after a while. They just kind of, and I think they were just having money problems. So, you know, I'm, I'm self-publishing now. You know, I bought the rights to it and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll always be able to provide it for, you know, fans and things of that nature and have my own book signed. Cause it's a timeless story. You know, it's a timeless story. Right. Uh, I don't know about TV. I mean, I don't know anybody in the film, but you know, if, if you know somebody, send them away. There's a far, there's a former Cowboy quarterback who's like the richest former athlete of all time, Roger Staubach. He could fund it. 
<laughs> yeah, Rod, you know, Roger, that's funny. Roger was, uh, and Ron, he loved Ron. Roger was one of those guys who really loved Ron. I, I guess he just really liked his sense of humor, especially when he was a young guy and Roger was about to leave the league. You know, he and Ron, uh, in that little time, he got pretty close. So, yeah, oh, oh they're, they're, uh, you know, he, Roger kind of felt that, uh, that whole, uh, love behind the, the donation as well. He understood it. So why are you not in the Ring of Honor? You know, I, I, that's funny you mentioned that. Everybody talks about Hall of Fame, and that's cool, too. But, uh, you know, the Ring of Honor is uh, just as special. You know, especially you talk about a cowboy Ring of Honor. You know, uh, it's a one-man voting committee. So, <laughs> you know, you have to ask Jerry one of these days. <laughs> you have to ask <laughs> <laughs> Only one man determines that. Only one man determines that. So that's well, his I mean, call. You look at certain players and you say, okay, it, it's it's either one a no brainer or he's, you mean he's not in there already? And you, you yeah, and here. a lot of people think I'm already in. You're right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. That to me sometimes perception is greater than reality. That's what I always say. <laughs> Because they went the longest time without putting anyone in. I mean, after uh, between Staubach and Leroy Jordan, it was six years there. Oh, see, I did not know that. I don't even know. You know, it's funny. I, I never really realized uh, that, that that's how long it, it, it goes sometimes. Uh, I know just put in Charles Haley, and I was very – love Charles Haley. I think Charles is, is a great guy. But you know, I thought, you know, Harvey Martin should have gone in. You know, I think uh, – you know, guys like Cornell Green should get a lot more respect. I mean, really, all pro in both uh, cornerback and safety. I mean, that, that's just amazing to me. That's just amazing. And no one, I mean, it's like it never happened, you know. They keep talking about these great DBs nowadays. With a lot of them. They do have some great DBs. But, you know, what, what Cornell did, that was just amazing. If they put Dion in before you, you better go out there and tackle him. <laughs> <laughs> I would not be surprised. Well, I think Dion is is he already in? No, he's, he's not. not. They put Larry oh. Allen in they put Larry Allen in, Charles Haley and Drew Kirsten. Okay. Those are yeah. the last three. Well, I'll be like Drew. He'll he'll wait till I'm really, really old. He'll he's yeah. not be <laughs> like a picture. <laughs> you might be able to tackle Dion, but I don't think he'll ever get him to stop talking. <laughs> I gotta I gotta catch Dion. No, he's too fast. I just set a trap for Dion. I can't catch him. <laughs> All righty. Did you enjoy cornerback or safety more? Uh, no, corner, definitely. If, if a corner, when they moved me to safety, I felt like put, being put out to pass. Okay. <laughs> it felt like an insult. <laughs> <laughs> that's where the guys who can't play cornerback go? Exactly. That's where cornerbacks go to die. <laughs> One last thing. Back in the heyday with the Cowboys in the late 70s, early 80s, who was more popular, the players or the cheerleaders? You know, uh, that was amazing. I, the players were extremely popular, but, you know, when you th- think about the Cowboy cheerleaders, they work just as hard as anybody, and you don't even realize how little they get paid. I mean, back then, I think they got $50 a game or something yeah. like that. Could you imagine? And they, they, they were like uh, ambassadors. If you think worldwide, the Cowboy cheerleaders. If you think worldwide, because yeah. they were ambassadors to the the uh, servicemen all over the world, and they definitely had more of an international appeal than the players themselves. 
That does it for another edition of Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com. Hope you enjoyed the show. Our thanks go out to Everson Walls, also to Playboy Playmate Gia Marie, and most of all to our executive producer, Dave Olson. This is Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com. Tune in again next time.